0: From Olympic City and the home of Pike's Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. It is heard around the world as a podcast on the radio in Southern Colorado. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars. I got a loaded show in the works for you right here. Lots of fun stuff to talk about this week. We're going to talk about how SEMA is going to protect your rights to buy whatever car you want. This is really important stuff. We are going to talk about how a uh, billionaire, or, well, we don't really know how much money he makes, but a uh, seemingly wealthy person in Dubai um, was flaunting his money, and he caught uh, (laughs) caught the eye of the government. Interesting here. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee, that had to be airlifted off of a glacier in Alaska and exactly how much money that costs. Well, we we don't know exactly the amount, but I can tell you it's very, very high. That is one of probably the most expensive off-road recoveries I've ever heard of. We're going to touch on that. We're going to play your car sounds, and I have a special announcement to uh, get to just right here at the top of the show. I'm I'm not even going to wait for it. I'm not going to make you wait for it, but um, next week's show, you really You don't want to miss it. Um, You know, make sure you can do everything you can to not miss next week's show. Subscribe to this show, wherever fine podcasts and this one are downloaded. Give it a rating on Spotify, six stars, YouTube, Rumble. Don't miss a minute because um, I have an exciting guest joining me next week. He is the diesel king of the mountain. He has the diesel record. He just set it for Pike's Peak. His name is Gregoire Blachon, and we're going to talk to him for the entire show, one-on-one. It's going to be really exciting. He's going to talk about some of the challenges he faced, um, his really bizarre diesel race car. We don't think of diesels normally when we think of race cars. Uh, it's, uh, normally here in America, at least, we think of you know semi-trucks and then yeah, maybe some pickup trucks and lighter duty applications, uh, industrial stuff, things like that. That's what we think of when we think of race cars, not or think of Diesels, I should say, not we don't think of race cars. Let me put it that way, and uh, he has a strange tri-turbo setup. You heard that one right? Three turbos. How does that work? What are the benefits of it? How do you even set up three turbos? Are they sequential? are they you know uh, just for each bank what what what's going on with it? So it's really weird. we're going to have him tell us himself, so you want to definitely Check out next week's edition of the show. Really excited to have him on the show. Um, and then stay tuned as well because I really uh, I want to get Jimmy Ford back on the show as well. Scheduled to have him on. He's got a really exciting announcement to debut on this show. That is uh, something really cool that he's been working on. In addition to some of the things he's doing already with the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. We know about that. This is a new endeavor. It's going to be really exciting. I can't wait to have him tell you about it. So that's going to be coming up as well on a later date. So moral of the story, you uh, you're not getting this stuff anywhere on any other automotive show. and uh, so I, I think this is going to be really cool. This is going to be really exciting. Um, again, last week, I talked in length about my experience at this year's hill climb, kind of bringing you along for the ride with me. That, again, is something that I, I, I at least feel uniquely qualified being here in this part of the country. I mean, you can't see it in the garage studio here, but Pike's Peak is like it's just over there. It's like right. It's like literally right there. So um, it's really it's always fun. It's fun being able to take you along for the ride with this sort of stuff. And I can't wait to show you more and and do some bigger things with this, too. There's some really fun things I've got in the works. So um, anyway, we got a lot of stuff to get to here. We got a lot of stuff to get to coming up here on the show. And uh, so, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about um, I I think here in the next segment, we're going to hit on some stuff that SEMA is doing, some stuff that they are doing that, in my opinion, is really important. Um, I mean, important to us as car enthusiasts perhaps for the next generation. So we're gonna hit on that and some of your car sounds right here. So you don't wanna go anywhere. You're listening to Automotive ADHD, and it's right here.
1: In these trying times, the Speed Council needs your support. Well, mostly your money. Alright, just the money. Join our Patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support automotive ADHD.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I had to dig that one up again. I, I really love that that not car sound. Yeah, that's a, that's a tractor sound. I keep playing it. I'm sorry if I keep playing that uh, that tractor sound. It just amuses me so much. Evan Osborne sent that in a couple of months ago, and it's still brings me great enjoyment. And uh, by the way, if uh, if you got those car sounds and you want to share them uh, last week, we had motorcycle sounds on the show. And this week, we once again had tractor sounds on the show. So I'm really setting the bar really high (laughs) for car sounds, right? So if you have those, if you want to share them, which you do, I already know you do. Um, you, you can send them to me, Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. And I realize that I have been slacking on the giveaways, uh, especially with the hill climb stuff. Everything's been really taking up a ton of my time and attention. So I have not done a drawing for last month. So uh I am I am due. I am past due on a drawing. I have failed you who have sent in your car sounds already, but uh don't worry because next week. Uh, I'm going to be touching on a few more car sounds. We're going to get a couple more in on the Facebook page before we do the next drawing. And then you can look forward to that. And, uh, Hey, send those car sounds into the show. You, I live vicariously through your car sounds. I mean, (laughs) that's, that's honestly what I'm doing because, you know, sometimes my cars don't run so they don't make any car sounds. So I can't, I, I just have to live through your car sounds, but, um, Anyway, so uh, Facebook.com slash AutomotiveADHD. Remember to to like the page as well while you're there. Uh, And there's a pinned post at the top of the page. You can comment below, share those car sounds. You can also private message them to me. But if you send them to that, if you put them in that comment section there, then everybody can see them and enjoy them. So... I think that's the way to do it. So um, I got to talk about this SEMA, which you may know as uh, you may know them from the SEMA show, one of the biggest specialty aftermarket car shows, uh, you know, one of of the biggest car shows in general in in the country. Um, It's it's very well known. Well, SEMA as well, you may not know, is an organization um, that advocates for political things and policy that help us out as car enthusiasts. And uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a sponsor with SEMA. I'm not affiliated with them in any way like that. I just really like what they're doing. So it's not like I'm getting paid to talk about this. If they would like to pay me to talk about this, I'd be happy to, uh, <laughs> I would be happy to do that. But, uh, but no, I'm happy to do it for free, though, because uh, the thing is, they're doing some interesting things. And they are uh, talking about and backing bills that support your rights as an enthusiast, as a consumer, as somebody in this country to do things with your car that you should already be able to do with your car. Um case in point, um we got to talk about uh one of these things here which is uh is is a is a house resolution that seeks to um to to actually, you know, allow you to continue to buy cars that you want. So the EPA uh, are we? We've talked at length about the EPA. If you listen to this show for a long time, you you know uh, you know some of my opinions on the EPA. But um, I need like a like a defund the EPA T-shirt. I need to get some merch going with that. <laughs> That's what I need. But that being said, um, the EPA is trying to, in many ways, over-regulate cars and over-regulate what manufacturers have to adhere to in cars. So much so that they want to make clean so-called quote-unquote clean air standards that would basically the only way to actually conform to these standards would be to just have a battery electric vehicle not even a hybrid just an all out battery electric vehicle would pretty much be the only way to conform to these standards i mean they they're basically making the emission standards so stringent so difficult to pass that it's not even economic or economically feasible for manufacturers to even try to conform to these. They're just, they're basically forcing manufacturers hands into EVs is what they're doing. And and you know, my opinion on this show, which is that I think we should have all forms of energy available to us, all forms of transportation available to us. Um, You know, I have people think I'm an EV hater, which I get why I get why I come off as that. But in reality, I think EVs have applications. They have things that are, uh they they have traits that are desirable for certain applications, and you should be able to buy it for that and you should be able to use it for that likewise, I prefer gas engines for certain applications too um you know that's just how it is and as a consumer, you should be able to choose what is best for your application. You shouldn't have to settle for something that doesn't that doesn't work um so um sema has uh, they have strongly supported this is um house resolution 1435 preserving choice in vehicle purchases act and i'm not going to get too terribly political with you here but i'm going to tell you what this is and perhaps why you should consider um supporting it as well and this is a bill that prohibits the et uh the epa from issuing uh a waiver or anything to um you know states for regulation specifically california in this instance but this does set a press uh this sets a precedent for what would happen in other states, too. But it prohibits the EPA from, quote, issuing a waiver to California for regulations that would ban the sale or use of new motor vehicles with internal combustion engines in the state by 2035. Um, and the uh, this is one of those things that we keep hearing 2035. We hear a lot of these, in my opinion, made up dates of, well, we got to ban them by this date, this date specifically, we're going to phase them out. Um, and, and, and I don't think that's a good way to do it because here's the problem too. Well, we're going to phase them out by then, or we're just going to outright ban them by then. Um, you are in many ways, artificially incentivizing companies, uh, to exhibit a certain type of behavior, to make a certain type of product without any actual competition in the market, natural competition. Not only that you have arbitrarily decided that this is the one technology that we are going to follow. when. There are many developing technologies. If you're actually into this for the environment, by the way, there are many developing technologies that could be even greener than our current battery electric vehicles that people are so obsessed with. But those technologies aren't going to get the research. They're not going to get the funding. Manufacturers aren't going to pursue them because as a government, we've just decided to do this one thing. So that's one of the many issues I have with our government just deciding that, EVs are the solution you you I did a show like a year ago about this on how making regulations is actually stifling innovation that could be more beneficial if that is your concern with the environment if you're a true environmentalist you might actually look a little under the surface and see what else is going on Um, going on from this here too and by the way you can read this um, you can read this whole I'll have this article posted for you on the Facebook page facebook.com slash automotive Um, because this is worth a read and it actually has a link to for you to to actually support this at least and voice your opinion with it um, but the um, EPA's proposal um, intends they say to lower carbon emissions in a way that intentionally force battery electric vehicles to be the only option for manufacturers to produce. Um, and and so that ends up, they say, they go on here to say, EVs become the de facto choice to achieve the rulemaking climate goals uh, as other options such as hydrogen, new synthetic fuels, and multiple renewals, renewables do not enjoy a level playing field of subsidies. Exactly the same point I was making, that the government deciding to subsidize this one part of the industry stifles a lot of innovation in other parts of the industry. Obviously, it's not the environmental. If the, if the environment was actually their goal, then they would be subsidizing all sorts of things and you know clean technologies, research into cleaner technologies. So if, that, if environmentalism was actually the goal, as they say it is, these other technologies that can in many cases be cleaner than even electric um, or just outright battery electric at the very least, Um, They would be getting the same support, which which they're not. So um, SEMA, as well as um, uh, tons of other organizations got together and they sent the presidential administration a letter with concerns about the EPA's uh, new standards and um, the uh, SEMA president as well um, also provided some official comments to the epa in opposition of the epa's new federal emission standards which by the way these standards don't just go into effect i said 2035 is kind of the arbitrary date you keep hearing like oh we got to be off of off of ice by then um these standards go into effect 2027 to uh, 2032 when you think about it 2027 for these uh, things to start taking effect that's that that's not that far that's What? I don't know why I'm checking my watch as if it has the (laughs) the gear on it, but but that's four years, right? That's four years. That is not long at all. And um, so, that being said, again, SEMA supports House Resolution 1435, uh, which again is Preserving Choice in Vehicles, Vehicle Purchases Act. Um, And if you would also like to support it, as well as a Senate companion bill, uh, Senate Bill 2090. Um, there is a link in that SEMA article that you will find on the Facebook page. There is a link in that article um, for you to do that. And you can, it has a, a pre built link where you can just click it and then send a letter to your Congress member, your representative, uh, asking them to also support the Preserving Choice in Vehicle Purchases Act. Um, and, uh, you know, if you voice your opinion, let your representatives know what you think about this as an enthusiast. Um, you, uh, I think if enough of us do that, That can absolutely make waves in there. I have sent a letter to my representative. Um, I only can encourage you to do the same. So um, anyway, there you go. You know, we, we typically steer clear of politics here, but sometimes these politics are really important and they directly impact us as automotive enthusiasts. And that's when I make my... Uh, exception uh, you know that's when i get into it because that's important and we all need to be involved in that one way or another if you live in another country where this maybe doesn't apply to you as much maybe maybe start a movement where you can make this apply to you so anyway hey coming up more stuff right here we're going to talk about some things you might find interesting that's next
1: Got a hot ride? Let everyone hear that horsepower on the Automotive ADHD show. Just head on to Facebook.com slash AutomotiveADHD, leave a like, and submit your car sounds. Show us what you got at Facebook.com slash AutomotiveADHD and rev those engines up for the world to hear.
0: Oh, that is Brett Dickey's S2000 uh racing the Pikes Peak hill climb. I uh I played that sound a couple of weeks ago when I had his race engineer Amir Bentatu on my show. And uh, if uh, if you want to catch that that episode, that was an amazing episode. We did the show live from the streets of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Fan Fest. And uh, I really enjoyed my discussion with uh, Amir. He, we talked about all sorts of things, about race engineering, about the industry, about Hondas. If you're a Honda guy, you might really like this. He's like, by the way, like Amir's kind of like, I would call him like the Honda God. Like he is... He is so into those cars and knows them in and out. He's got a, uh, a K-swapped NSX, which is cool and awesome. And he just, uh, again, you're, you're just going to have to listen to the show. Uh, we also talk a little bit, one thing I really liked was uh, talking about work-life balance when your hobby is cars, but you also work with cars professionally. And he's got some really interesting thoughts on that as a guy who is incredibly passionate uh, about those very things. So um, yeah, you definitely got to check that out. Scroll back in your podcast feed, listen to that episode. If you missed it, it is a great one. Send it to your friends as well. If you know a Honda guy, or if you're, if you, if you are friends with uh, like a diehard V8 muscle car guy, irritate him by flooding him with Honda guy stuff and send him that interview as well, because it's really, (laughs) it's really cool. So uh, I got to talk about this crazy story with a Jeep Grand Cherokee that had to get airlifted, Off of a glacier in Alaska. This is this is perhaps one of the nuttiest off-road recoveries that I've seen. Uh, There's a couple of YouTube channels. I've gone down the rabbit hole on a few YouTube channels that are all about off-road recovery. Uh, One that just comes to mind is Matt's off-road recovery. Not mine. My name is Matt, but this guy's name is also Matt. So we are I we already have I have never met him. I've never spoken with him, but we are immediately uh, that much closer as fellow mats, by the way. So, uh, but he's, uh, he does, uh, some interesting off-road recovery stuff and, uh, there's a few other guys out there doing it too, but this one, um, there is a, and you might've seen this circular circulating around on social media, but somebody got a stock Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh, specifically the ZJ generation of Jeep Grand Cherokee got it stuck on a glacier. And it got so badly stuck there and there was a river alongside it that began flooding that there was no way to save this Grand Cherokee. There was no way to get it out. There was no way to get recovery equipment in there. In fact, not even a off-road wrecker or any type of vehicle like that was able to salvage this vehicle. Now, thankfully, it doesn't appear that it got flooded. It got stuck kind of on the edge of the glacier and then the river was a little ways down. But the river was part of the reason why there was it was so difficult to to recover this vehicle, um, they had to use a helicopter. They had to literally helicopter out a Jeep ZJ, which by the way, it, it, this, it's not like a crazy off-road rig. This is like a stock ZJ, um, uh, with, <laughs> as they explained to, as, uh, as one of the members of the recovery team, um, explained that the, uh, the tires on it, were uh, here. I have to find the quote because it's it's beautiful. This is a beautiful quote on here um, that they were ten miles away from being NASCAR slicks. The tires on it. So I, this comes as a little bit of a PSA uh, when it comes to uh, you know off roading and having a prepped vehicle, a stock ZJ with bald tires off roading in the great Alaskan wilderness sounds like a terrible. Idea. (laughs) This is a this is a dreadful idea, by the way. Um, But the other issue here is you might ask, well, okay, this jeep's worth like fifteen hundred bucks tops, right? You might ask, well, why did they have to spend so much money? Which we'll get to how much ballparking that was. um, Why'd they have to spend so much money? Well, that to to recover it, like just just leave it. It's going to cost more to recover it than it's than than it's literally worth. Well, the reasoning for this was because it got stuck in a protected environmental area um, that arguably one probably shouldn't be even off-roading in. Um, and uh, it's a, it was a protected area, environment. an area of conservation. So basically, you're not really supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be off-roading there. Not only that, having a vehicle here and just leaving it there in this so-called protected environmental area. Um, That's not good. That's that's not nice. Right. You know, because what happens is this thing's going to deteriorate. It's going to leak fuel. It's going to leak oil. It's going to leak coolant. All of these things are chemicals you specifically don't want in a protected environmental area or a, uh, you know, and if you live in the city, you may not see these often. But a lot of times, even here in Colorado, you go into you know, the uh, the state parks, you go into national forests, you go into these different places. They have sections of trails that are fenced off, blocked off. You're like, why can't I go there? Well, it's an environmental restoration area. So that area has gotten so trampled by people, you know, running their rigs up it, people camping, people hiking, people doing all this stuff that periodically to kind of bring that area back and not let it go too far, you know, not get too deteriorated. The you know, the officials will close it off and say, hey, we're leaving this for a year, two years, three years and letting everything grow back for a little bit. That's pretty common. Now, I'm not saying that's specifically what this area was, but this was a quote environmentally protected area. Um, Now, here's the thing. How much how much does this cost? So firstly, the uh, recovery company that was hired to get it tried, I believe, twice to uh, get in there with a wrecker, an actual vehicle, a truck. And get this thing out. And they were unable to do it uh, because the river, which I'd mentioned earlier, had risen higher than it was when this guy got in there. So they were not able to get in there, even with a prepped off-road wrecker. So that was that was not a possibility. And uh, by the way, you have to see pictures of this um, hat tip. Uh, Caleb Jacobs, who did uh, he's a writer for The Drive, who put together an amazing article on this complete with pictures. And he interviewed. Uh, all sorts of parties involved, and, and really got a great story on this. So, uh, credit where credits due. Go read this article from Caleb Jacobs again at the Drive. Uh, but it, the helicopter. So they they decided that the best thing to do at this point was get a helicopter to uh, to truck this thing back out. Um, and that helicopter, they didn't actually. The 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 company who's done this didn't say the overall cost. They didn't tell. Uh, Caleb from the drive what the overall cost was because they had to factor in not just the helicopter itself, but the man hours, the labor, all of this stuff, and the two different attempts with a wrecker to go in and get this thing as well. They factored all of that into here. Uh, But just the helicopter, let's put this into perspective, $8,250 to hire this helicopter, fly it out, pick up this ZJ. And move it. And now they didn't fly it all the way out with the ZJ. I assume probably they they flew it to a spot where a wrecker could actually then just pick it up, which is fair. That's a, that's a fair thing to do, because if you picked up the Jeep and flew with the helicopter, then you're flying with this extra weight. That's extra fuel. That probably would have been even more expensive than just having the helicopter pluck it out, take it a mile or two over to where there is a flatbed. Then they put it on that flatbed and drive it the however many miles out of the Alaskan wilderness, because that's still probably cheaper than just flying with the fuel and the helicopter and stuff. The crazy thing is there are some pictures of this going around of this Jeep, which they picked up with the helicopter and it was like upside down and they're carrying it out. And it it was it was really nuts just seeing the pictures of that. But you would believe I don't know if you believe this, but that Jeep was still running after that fact, which does go to show Uh, that I, I would only have to assume that this Jeep was equipped with the four liter straight six, because you just can't kill those. Uh, even if it was upside down in water being picked up with a helicopter, the owner gets it back, says it runs and drives fine. (laughs) Uh, that's, uh, I don't know if this one was with the, the four liter, uh, straight six, the AMC straight six. I only can assume that though considering what it has been put through. So, oh man, oh man. Anyway, anyway, hey, there we go. So um, now, hey, coming up, we got a couple more fun things to talk about here on the Automotive ADHD show. We are going to hit on uh, some automotive loan advice. Apparently millennials are in uh, in desperate need of, uh, of this. And uh, we are also going to, uh, we are also going to talk a little bit about how one, supposedly rich guy in Dubai has uh, uh, flaunted his wealth and now the government's coming after him for being too rich Uh, buying too many supercars. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to we're going to dive into that and more with more of your car sounds right here. So, hey, don't go anywhere
1: every day. Thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels.
0: I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block.
1: Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary.
0: It's okay, bro, we will swap it
1: but no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. More information is available on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD.
0: right here we are rocking it for the is it the third or fourth half of the show i I don't even know at this point how do you have three or four halves halves by the way (laughs) i go figure matt west here hanging out with you talking cars on the automotive adhd show those car sounds courtesy of adam green that was his fdrx7 i'm playing more car sounds from the vault and uh, that's just one of the uh, fantastic ones uh, that I have. And I, I we have everything from three-cylinder diesel tractors to Pikes Peak Hill Climb cars to motorcycles to cool FDs with the um, very broppy rotary. Brop, brop, brop. It's good stuff. Um, anyway, uh, hey, before we talk about uh, some of the craziness with loans, before we talk about some craziness in Dubai, um, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. So <laughs> there is a. A particular automotive accessory that is um, that that is uh, crippling cars across the nation. It is it is it is leaving drivers stranded. And you might be thinking, well, what what is this? What is it? It's a aesthetic accessory, by the way. It has nothing to do with. Well, we'll get to that. But apparently, on the surface, has nothing to do with the mechanics of your car. Well, it turns out it does as uh, several people on the internet are finding and also one owner that uh reached out to uh, ABC7 uh in San Francisco, California and uh this is uh, this is such a weird story but but so what what's happening is people are buying these little automotive they're they're like metal rings with adhesive on the back and they have some rhinestones, they have some shiny jewels on them. And the idea being that you put this thing around the push start ignition on your car. It's a little ring that goes around it, and it it's a tacky little stick-on thing, and you can have some sparkliness around your your ignition button. Don't ask me why you would want that, but apparently enough people want it that this is a problem. So the issue is it's just fine if you put it around your push start ignition. There's a reason I specified push start ignition um because if you put it around the keyhole in your non-push start ignition if you have a regular key um then this causes some this causes some issues this causes some problems because what's going on is apparently this little metal ring with jewels on it you know cheap fake whatever china jewels um is enough to actually block the signal from your transponder key and what's a transponder key a lot of a lot of you I know I know a good chunk of people know this, but uh, for the benefit of those who don't, we'll get you up to speed. Um, Modern cars, cars, actually a lot of cars, even since the the mid to late 1990s, have this notion of transponder keys. And what that is, is a means it's an anti-theft device, firstly. So basically it means that you can't just drill out the lock cylinder of the ignition and then start it with a screwdriver, which is, by the way, was how my uh, my 77 Hornet, was stolen, uh, which you uh, listeners here may, may remember my eulogy I read for the car uh, on the show. By the way, I have news about that car. I have an update on that, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for another episode. Uh, I, I just I got too much stuff to talk, to, uh, talk about here. I, I don't want to get too uh, sidetracked. Um, but so moral of the story, what, what the transponder key does, it basically has a radio frequency chip in the key itself that communicates through an antenna that is around that ignition cylinder to know if this is a real key or if someone's just trying to, they drilled out the ignition and they're trying to start it with a screwdriver. Um, It's it's designed to do that. That's basically the purpose of this. So what will happen is if you put in a key, this will even work. I've done this on one of my cars before where I just wanted a spare door key that I could keep in my wallet or something like that. And but I didn't want it to actually start the ignition of the car in case. Oh, what if I lost my wallet? What if I did this? I don't want my car to get stolen. I just want to be able to get in in case I lock my actual keys in the car. Um, Well, you can go get your take your transponder key, go get a regular blank key for a non-transponder. set, Like for an older car, get that cut and um uh, with the same profile as your regular key, it'll work in your door. And if you put it in your ignition, it'll turn the ignition over and everything. In a lot of cases, the car will even crank, but it will have disabled the fuel and the ignition. So it'll all it's gonna do is crank, 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 kick, 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 kick. kick, 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 kick that's it. That's all it's gonna do. Um, and so because that that system, that security system there, uh, that it's a passive security system, and that's why a lot of people don't know about it. It's passive. You don't even think about it. It just works. Um, that system is keeping me from using the, you know, regular flat metal key. This is also why keys, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s, got really thick with thick plastic on them. We went from nice, thin, you know, sleek metal keys to these fat, nasty keys, which, by the way, are even kind of passe and old school now when you think about it, because, you know, cars of the past 10 years, most of them have um, uh, keyless ignition. You know, you just leave the key in your pocket, And get in the car and then use the push button start, which, by the way, is what this tacky little bling ring, as they call it. That's what that's for, because your push button start is not where the antenna necessarily is uh, for your keyless ignition, where you just leave the key in your pocket and you get in the car. Um, This again, this specifically, if you put this ring around your old school, you know, transponder, I say old school like it's actually old, but your older style transponder key, it can actually block the signal as as this one owner here. I've got a sound clip for you. As this one uh, owner found out, uh, rather, I would say, rather unfortunately. Here, uh, here, give this a listen.
1: She had the car towed all the way to a dealer in Ukiah. No one could find the problem. They had locksmiths there. They tried all of their troubleshooting, and nothing worked. Then, in passing, Schiffra mentioned that bling ring on the ignition. And he said, oh, we've seen that before. The mechanic simply peeled off the bling ring and... <laughs> Presto, the car started right up. I was completely blown away. It was the most ridiculous.
0: So, so, so now you know what's going on. Let's, uh, let's talk about, though, I, I do feel bad for this, this owner of this car who spent hundreds of dollars having mechanics tow, tow the car and having mechanics troubleshoot the car. All of these different things. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this could be avoided. This could have been very easily avoided. In fact, there's a there's a very simple solution. You know, people are people are being critical of the seller at Amazon for not clearly stating, hey, this doesn't work with certain cars with this type of ignition. That's not the problem, because it turns out if you go to that Amazon listing, they did state that. So the people who buy this sort of thing aren't going to read that anyway, uh, because also the sort of people bejeweling their cars and putting putting rhinestones on literally every every surface in sight aren't going to read that. And if they do read that, chances are they're not going to know what that means anyway. Um, so the real solution here is just have a better taste in fashion and as automotive accessories. Just have better taste in your aesthetic modification. Look, they say respect all builds. They, that's what they say, right? But I'm sorry. Putting rhinestones on everything in your car, the license plate, the cup holders, the air vents, the steering wheel, the, the airbag cover. By the way, that's really dangerous. I've seen that. I've seen like entire airbag covers the, the center part of your steering wheel covered in jewels and spiky things. No, don't do that. That's the air when that when that airbag goes, you get into a 10 mile an hour collision just enough or maybe 20 and that airbag goes I'm sorry. Those those jewels are projectiles. That that is that is a death sentence in my opinion. Remember the Takata airbag recall? It was because it was shooting the the. There, that's a whole other can of worms. But it, those airbags were shooting out metal projectiles from the actual airbag equipment. There was a lot of things of, of, about why this happened, but more well, of the story. Those the th- that actually killed people. You're doing the same thing by putting rhinestones on your airbag. Don't do that. So I mean, really, I mean. I, I kind of feel bad for this lady who experienced this. Yes, she spent a lot of money, but but um, but but hopefully this will have I, I like I said, I, I have sympathy, but I also don't feel bad for her because if you put this sort of thing on your car, then you deserve it. You, you absolutely deserve exactly what you get right there. I mean, I okay, respect all builds. I'm trying to but putting rhinestones on your car is not a build. Fight me on that. Fight me. It is not just doing that to your car. Look, do it to your car whatever you want. That's fine. It's your car. If you do this, your car's not going to run. But you can do it. You can do it. Go for it. Your car's not going to run, but it, okay, <laughs> Look, all of this could have been avoided. Just have a better taste in automotive uh, accessories, and uh, this sort of thing won't happen. So anyway, um, there you go. Uh, another thing I got to touch on here. Um, before we talk uh, talk about uh, some weird drama happening in Dubai. Can you have too much money? Can you really have too much money? Well, apparently you can, at least in Dubai. Uh, before we talk about that, though, one quick thing of, uh, I mentioned this, millennials are uh, apparently pretty bad off right now when it comes to auto loans. And I think this is because of a number of reasons. I think this is, but, um... Uh, auto News reports that 3.58 percent of 18 to 29 year olds and six, or sorry, 2.62 percent of 30 to 39 year olds have been late on auto line auto loans by at least 90 days, three months. By the way, um, and now to put that, you know, into perspective. Um, the grand totality of all borrowers is only 2.13%. Now we're talking, you know, oh, it's 3.58%. That's not a lot. Well, when you talk about how many auto loans that are, that are out there, that are out there in the open, that's a lot of people. That's a lot. So much so, by the way, um, and that that's on average. So let's break this down to the first quarter of 2023 this year, 4.55%. Of 18 to 29-year-olds were 90 days late on their car payments. And th- these are numbers, again, it sounds like a small percentage, but these are numbers that we haven't seen since the Great Recession. These are numbers that we haven't seen since 2008, since all of that stuff happened. And why is this problematic? There's a number of reasons, I think. Um, and, and I think this is, for one, uh, this, this is an example of the current state of some of the uh, things in our economy right now. And also loans are just more expensive than ever. Um, I have heard of some people getting some really terrible deals on loans. I mean, we're talking uh, deep into the double digits, deep into the double digits on interest rates, on like 84 month loans or something crazy like that. I mean, it's uh, some of this stuff is just mind blowing on why people actually signed the dotted line on that. And and it comes down to education. I mean, you know, I'm throwing millennials under the bus here, but I am a millennial. So I can't, I guess I can't, I can throw myself under the bus too. I mean, look at my automotive decisions behind me. These lose me so much money. (laughs) It's not even funny, but uh, that being said, I think a lot of folks, especially when you look at this 18 to 29 demographic, uh, a lot of folks don't have a lot. They, they don't have that grounding knowledge in finance. Firstly, that's really important, especially if you're going to go out and get a loan on something. Um, if you're not comfortable knowledge wise with the ins and outs of a loan and how that works and how to how that risk works too, a loan is anytime you take on a loan, that is risk to you at the end of the day. If if you're not familiar with that, perhaps you should just save a paycheck or two and drive a cheap beater car and tell you you decide that this is something you actually understand fully and want to go for and and understand the risks of it. But I think a lot of this comes from people not understanding the risk of that getting uh, also roped into, you know, dealership tactics, uh, which if you've ever been to a car dealership, uh, you know how this tactic works. Uh, in fact, when I was in college, I worked a summer at a car dealership as a salesman, and it was I, I let me tell you, I didn't enjoy, <laughs> I didn't enjoy that job, but it was it, it was a learning experience. and. Um, We were. I remember being told by management, don't don't tell people how much the car costs. Like, don't actually tell them the final price. Beat around the bush on that as much as you can. Get them on that monthly instead of them saying, "Well, how much is it? How much is this?" No, as a salesperson, you go, "Well, how much is your monthly? What can you afford monthly?" That's a big thing they always focus on. And if you've been to a dealer, maybe some do this more than others, but it, it is a tactic that they use. Well, you know, this car it can get you in at, you know. $450 450 dollars a month, but if you come up to you know 475 a month, only 25 dollars more a month, eat out one less day a month and you can, you can afford this car. Well, what they're not telling you half the time is they're getting in you into this other car on a 75 or greater month loan, and they're getting you at a high interest rate. And that's, that, that could be the difference between you know, a $20,000 car and spending 30 plus thousand, 40,000 dollars. That little monthly difference, it doesn't sound like a lot, but over a great enough term, a big enough loan, that is thousands of dollars, thousands. Uh, And people don't realize that. And I think they get themselves into a little bit of trouble. They get themselves a little underwater. They also getting underwater on car loans. Let's talk about that. That's when you have a loan that is worth more than the car is now worth. Your loan is, let's make up a number, your loan's $50,000. Well, that car has depreciated because you got an 85 80 whatever however many month loan on it well in the time of that loan that car has depreciated now it's now worth let's make up another number twenty-five thousand dollars. okay that's great yeah cars depreciate we use them they're a tool that's that's what happens uh it's rare when cars appreciate uh, there are cars that do don't get me wrong that you can get clever with this and buy cars that do appreciate. But then again, you also are then always wondering like, "Oh, this car's going up in value. I'm never going to drive it. It's an investment." That's not fun either. You're not enjoying the car at that point. But um, you know, that being said, you know, that car's, you know, talking about being underwater on it. That car's worth 25 grand, you owe 50 grand. Great, you still owe 50 grand on that payment. Say, you know, you owe whatever's left on it and you want to sell that car. Okay, you got 25 grand for the car, but you had X amount of dollars left on that loan over that 25 grand, you owe that money back like that, that money you owe that to the bank or whatever. And what'll happen is people can roll that, that amount that they're upside down. They trade in their car. They roll what they owed over that trade in amount that they got. They roll that into their next auto loan because the salesperson says, well, it's only going to be so-and-so however many dollars a month. Let's roll that. Let's roll that extra amount into your next loan. So now you're buying a let's say a thirty-five thousand dollar car, but you had fifteen, you were fifteen grand under on the car before. So that means that you now have a thirty-five thousand dollar car, and you have a fifty thousand dollar loan on a thirty-five thousand dollar car, and that's we're talking you know six seven hundred. However, depending on the term of the loan, obviously, but we're talking hundreds of dollars a month. I mean, we're talking a lot of. The, you know, the average on these car payments just keeps getting higher and higher. And so guess what? If you've done that now, you've rolled the amount you're upside down on a previous car into your next car. Well, that next car is not even worth that. So you are starting out upside down in that car, and it's only going to de- keep to de- keep depreciating. The typical rule of thumb is a car is going to depreciate anywhere between 10 and 15 percent the second you drive it off that lot. And it is now a one owner car, not a new car. Right. Uh, so this is I mean, things like this. I mean, obviously, you can get way more in depth in this than i I'm just like doing a surface level skim of how this kind of works you know and, and in my experience too, and what I've seen um but I, I think this is something especially with that younger demographic the uh you know older gen Zers and the younger millennials are just are are failing to f- see this, and maybe it's because of you know they say it's because of their position financially. I think a lot of it comes down to education because uh you know if you are educated and you educate yourself on what it is you're doing with your money i think you can make that money go a lot longer at least you can use what money you have a lot smarter uh and understand that risk and also understand things that you can do to to um to mitigate that risk so um yeah there's my spiel on uh, there's there's my spiel on car loans i i'm not going to say don't get a car loan some people you know financial people might say oh never get a loan loans are bad never take out debt on anything ever um, there are times where it makes sense to do it. Is it all the time? No, 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 it's not all the time. But, you know, I think understanding that and not listening to the sales guy who's, you know, only telling you that monthly amount, oh, I'll get the extended warranty. It's only three dollars more a month times, you know, a, a ton of months, <laughs> which comes out to again. Hey, we're talking a lot of money. Um, so, you know, when you think about it, or at least if you do go into those loans, if you understand the risk and you decide to do it anyway, look at that dollar amount of what it's going to be. Look at what it's going to be with your interest. The interest obviously is your cost of the loan. You know, if it's 2%, that means that loan is cheaper, that getting that loan's cheaper. If it's eight, nine, 10, 15, 20%. Um, I, I re I remember when I was in college selling cars at a, at a car dealer, I remember there was a dude who came in who wasn't, uh, much younger than I was working there. And the dude got a loan, uh, on, it was like, I think a scion TC and, uh, he got a loan on that and it was a bonkers amount. He, he financed it. It was his first loan. So I get, it's going to be high, but it was like really high. I think it was like 25% almost, if I recall, which was mind blowing. And the dude just signed the paper. Oh yeah, it's great. Oh yes. No problem. And he just signs the paper. And it was like twenty five, like it was so high. That I was sitting there thinking to myself, you could have just bought this car on a credit card because your credit card interest a lot of times is going to be in that twenty six, twenty nine percent. Some we're now seeing a lot of even thirty percent. But I, at at that point too, at that time, it's like you could have just bought this car on a credit card and you would have paid the same amount of interest. I don't know. It, it's just it, avoiding stuff like that. Just get educated on that sort of stuff. That's my PSA for the day. Have fun. Spend money on cars. I won't talk you out of that, but. Don't don't kill yourself with loans. I think at the end of the day. Um, so, anyway, hey, speaking of more money stuff, I got one more thing to wrap the show up on. That was that was kind of heavy, right? Um, so there is a TikTok star, a TikTok guy. I I hate these TikTok influencers. I <laughs> I hate them. It's just because of the. Pl- it just is what it is, right? They're they're on social media. They're flexing their wealth. They're not doing anything entertaining aside from dishing out those dollar bills and flexing. Flexing on the pores, as one could say. And um uh <laughs> this guy posted a video, which is uh it was kind of funny. You could tell this was kind of like set up a little bit. Like he didn't just walk into a dealer and start doing this was like staged. This was set up all the way. Uh, but the I'll set the stage for you and then I'll play a sound clip from it. The guy walks into the dealer, he's wearing the the traditional kind of Arab garb, he's got the the head thing on pardon my, my lack of cultural knowledge on what this stuff is called. I'm a car guy. I know cars. <laughs> I, I don't know all of this, but he, he's wearing, you know, that kind of white traditional, uh, clothing you would see guys wearing with the head. Uh, I, I I'm just embarrassing, embarrassing myself on the name on these things right now. You get the picture though. You get the picture, right? So, um, regardless he's going in, he's, uh, he's asking the dealership people, you know, he's like, Oh, do you work here? You work here. Oh, get buy yourself some coffee gives them tosses like a stack, like a pack of money, just a fat stack of bills. Like, ah, here, go get yourself some coffee. And then he's like looking for the owner and he finds the owner. Hey, what? I want to buy these cars. I want to buy this one. I want to buy this one. I want to buy this one. The guy's like, well, what's your budget? He doesn't ask what's your monthly, by the way. He, he's he's lacking on that, that car salesman trick. But, um, you know, he well, what's your budget? And then this guy has like four dudes carrying a pallet of money comes in and he goes, eh, it's not much. Eh, it's just this, you know, whatever. And then he starts the whole video is just him in a weirdly comedic way, flexing this wealth. Like, like I said, I feel like this was actually kind of set up like this was uh, I don't feel like this was actually a dude with this sort of wealth coming in and just to a random unsuspecting car dealership with cameras rolling and four dudes carrying a pallet of money. I I mean, granted, this is in Dubai. I'm sure that I'm sure that actually does happen in Dubai. the, The sort of money that goes through there is just is just so absurd. but. This feels a little staged to me, but why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about this? Because here's what, here's what happened. So there, the actual government in, in Dubai, the, the actual government there, um, uh, federal prosecutors have ordered the detention of the guy in this video. The, they have actually, or the, the United Arab Emirates, has their federal government has ordered this guy arrested and detained. What did he do? Well, apparently in the UAE, it is, it is, it is actually illegal. I don't know what the law is, but the prosecutors are saying that he was, um, uh, that, that he was, he was flaunting his wealth and they, despite being a very, uh, oil rich money filled, uh, economy, um, apparently, don't like it when you flaunt your wealth this is by the way the same country that um that has that spends a huge amount of money on ridiculous license plates like license plates that are just the number two and it's like a 16 million dollar license plate this is the same country that 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 has that and meanwhile the government saying that he was flaunting his money and that they didn't approve of that. Who gets to approve of that by the way? I don't know. But um but here I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to play a sound clip for you. Uh bear with me. I won't play the whole TikTok video. It's I don't know. I don't know man. It's TikTok. What can I say? I have a TikTok but I post like crusty old Corollas on it and I do it more on YouTube too. But here give this uh give this a listen.
1: You work here? Yes, I'm the owner. You own this? Yes, I do. What is most expensive? What is your budget?
0: Uh, a small budget I have, uh, but
1: not too much. What do you have? The most expensive S of ninety. This? Yes. How much? Two point two million dirham. Dirham? Yes, dirham. I need more, exp- more. I need expensive, brother. I don't need this. Is what my driver would drive this? Show me one expensive car. Everything's for sale, brother. What, everything, no problem. Everything. But, everything, but everything, hey, captain, blah, blah. you work here? Go take coffee. What is this? Audi R eight. Give me this and uh, this one also. Yeah, okay. What else? Uh, give me that Mercedes. Okay, this Rolls Royce and. Uh, Give me one Red Bull also. No problem.
0: Red you Bull? Have Red Bull? Bull for free. No, take money. No problem. Okay. Keep the change. <laughs> Red Bull for free. No, no, take money. Keep the change. I don't know. That, that was a funny line there. That was, that was, I'll, 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 I'll appreciate that. line. You know, oh, I'm going to buy this car, this buy, this car and, uh, and one Red Bull. <laughs> oh man. So here's the statement. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the government has, the UAE government has issued, which is, uh, at least translated into English as being that he um, he he lavishes cash in the showroom quote in a way that reveals foolishness and a lack of appreciation for the value of money. Congratulations, you have accurately described every TikTok influencer ever. Uh, I'm pretty sure they will all be arrested by the UAE uh, for this <laughs> for this transgression against the appreciation of the value of money. Um, <laughs> interesting to me this is interesting uh not just because of the all the cool cars in there you know he's 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 poking fun at a ferrari sf 90 which is like six hundred thousand dollars uh hat tip uh, lewin day of the drive by the way who, who who put all this together with uh with some of the stuff the values of these things he's going around and asking about um and uh look look okay let me put it this way i think it's weird for one a country where you know, you wouldn't see this. There's a lot of things, you know, a lot of countries have different cultures. This is apparently culturally unacceptable in the UAE, though I would find this hard to imagine. Yeah, it's cringy. It's kind of dumb. It's silly. It's it's not tasteful. It's not tactful. Um, I would find that hard, at least in most places, to imagine that you could actually get arrested for being so rich and just flaunting your wealth and giving people fat stacks of cash to go buy coffee with. That's really expensive coffee, by the way. How expensive is the coffee in the UAE? It must be terribly expensive. That that coffee must be thousands of dollars for a cup of coffee. I'm sure, well, I'm sure someone's going to say, yeah, well, that that exists. That's how much it costs. But um, that being said, I have a proposal for this guy who is wanted, he is wanted by the UAE government. I have a proposal for which he can take asylum, not only here in the United States, but in my garage where he can pay me all of these fat stacks of cash. In fact, he's he's scoffing at six hundred thousand dollars for this Ferrari SF90. He says, oh, that's uh, I need more expensive. That's 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 too cheap. Well, in fact, I will sell him not one, not one, but two crusty Corolla ae 86s if you're watching on video, I got actually I have the white one back. You haven't seen it in a long time. Um, OBD one Kenobi got tired of it sitting in his backyard. So he said, take it home. But anyway, I have not one, but two, one of them runs. The other one doesn't. I will sell them for $16 million. If he wants to take asylum in my garage from the UAE government and pay me $16 million because the Ferrari SF90 is too cheap. I will sell these Corollas for a bargain. 16 million. That's my official offer. (laughs) That's my official offer right there. Take it or leave it this this really, you know, I talked about loans and things like that, but but this is really the the sound financial advice that you have come to expect and love here on the automotive adhd show so and on that i'm gonna wrap up this show hey i want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show i want to thank sandy and gary at the radio station who make sure this gets on the airwaves remember to give this show a six star rating on spotify and tune in next week when i have grégoire blachon the diesel king of the mountain is joining me for a one-on-one interview you do not want to miss that that is going to be here next week